Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Good morning, Steve. How's sunny Hampstead? You're in Hampstead, aren't you, at the moment? I'm, I'm next door, Hampstead. I'm in East Finchley. Um, good morning. Very, very nice. And uh, sorry to drag you out of bed. So uh, actually, it's not that early, is it there? No, it's not that early. Uh, what's it here? It's 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 around eleven. So oh, okay, not bad. So I'm I'm becoming accustomed to the to the British accent. I'm sitting next to Jake multiple times. Well, you're South week. African. Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm confused. I was just going to say I'm confused because you just spoken about being in London and you tell well, it. But so you're originally from South Africa. It's a South African light uh, accent because I've been here about uh, around twenty years. Yes. So it's changed somewhat. But the moment. Uh, I get talking to another South African, um, then of course it comes out. Yeah, how's it day? Um, and get an answer, how's it? How's it through? Yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Don't get started. Don't get me started. <laughs> Where were you born in uh, South Africa and when did you Cape move? Town. Why did you move? Sunny, sunny beautiful Cape Town. Um, so we left during the time of the Soweto riots. There was a lot of... Uh, uh, unrest at the time, and uh, so 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 we left. But then I returned later. Uh, my family actually live in in Canada, in Toronto. Uh, but then I returned to South Africa to uh, to do my medical studies, and then from there I came here. Um, at the time, the medical school there was very ex- was excellent. I mean, it was well, it's still very good, but uh, at the time it was really uh, exceptional days for this particular medical school, and I. Uh, was very interested in doing um, in pursuing a career in in trauma. Actually, and I did that for a while, but then left it. Uh, I could see it was a, a, an unsustainable way, a, a lifestyle, and then I became a GP. And then you went into managing lip trauma. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, yes, actually. Um, <laughs> Funny, but not so funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, <laughs> don't, don't worry. We'll, we'll get into that. So so why did you, or, or how did you go from GP to master injector and biggest user of Botox and Voluma in the UK? Right, single user, I, not, not group Sorry, user. Sorry, well, single user, yeah. Um, so, yes, it, it put, I was busy being a GP and um, then I saw um, an, an advertisement for a course in aesthetic medicine, and it immediately grabbed me. And this this is around eighteen years ago. And I went and, and I went and did that sort of you know weekend uh, course that we all start off with, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then just became really um, uh, obsessed, shall we say, with it. I just I just wanted to sort of practice on everyone and and and, uh, and it, it it completely took over and I knew straight away that it was uh, that this is what I, I was meant to be doing um, and then the moment I reached a certain number of patients I left the world of general practice never to return again 
Yeah. Something that Jake and I talk about along the podcast um, is another cr- controversial topic. So it's uh, good that you're here because we're talking all about controversy tonight, <laughs> um, is training for injectors. And I'm assuming coming from yes. the background of gen- general practice, um, going and doing a weekend course, how did that sit with you? Um, making the decision. Not well. That, yeah, this well, was yeah. Um not well, but of course we're, we're talking a very very long time ago. Unfortunately, it's still it's something which is still happening as as I'm sure you guys mm. um, are aware of, right? And um and especially here in in the the UK where there are no regulations, there is a lot of uh, cause for for concern and uh, really we need to formalize uh, formalize it and, and recognize it as a, a very valid and important branch of uh, of medicine. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how things are there in Australia, but I think you have a little bit more uh, regulations in terms of us, but I suppose you can also just do a, a weekend course there and get going, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's no qualification and, you know. No, exactly. No, so, but at least I guess so, people that are injecting dermal fillers in Australia have to be at least a nurse. Um, and if they're not a registered nurse, if they're an enrolled nurse, they need to be under um, the direct supervision of a, of a doctor. So I guess there is right. a, little, a little bit more control, but still the courses are not recognized um, officially by any sort of governing body. And they mean everything and mm-hmm. they mean nothing. You could go and do a two-day course. You might go and do something for a few weeks, but by and large, I think this is now being recognised as a, as, a, as a specialty. Can I say that word? It's a specialty? Well, kind of. We, you know, practitioners like We're, Steve and others, we like to think of ourselves as, you know, sensible. But what does that mean? Because yeah. we're in a group of, you know, yeah. inexperienced and experienced people. But yeah, I think it's an evolving specialty, but, but we don't have yeah. a college, an exam or anything else. So I don't know if we can call ourselves a specialty, even if I want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's what you do all day, every day. It's what you specialize in. You're very good at it. Um, yeah. You'd think that that would be something that would require something that's a bit more formalized, but we'll get into that at a later point. But it's it's bizarre when you think about it in those sort of terms and you talk about all the time you spent training in general practice and, and Jake with colorectal surgery and all of a sudden you do a weekend course and now you're an injector. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, here in Australia, I know it's different in the UK, but uh, what are they called? Um, there are sort of protected terms for jobs. Yeah. So I cannot say I specialize in, in injectables because that, that's a protected title for people who specialize in surgery or, or yeah. dermatology or otherwise. So yeah, I actually can't say that, at mm. least in Australia. Yeah. Well, at least now there's a new ruling for the age of uh, consent, which is which was passed very recently in the House of Lords to the age of 18. And so there is some progress in the area. Yeah. So tell me about your clinic, Steve, because I'm, I'm really interested to sort of know, I know you run a dissolving clinic as well. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into Best that. Diving controversial stuff um yes i do i do run a uh, a dissolving clinic which is a very busy clinic and um i've also noticed on 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 instagram now there seems to be a, a trend um of you know dissolving and 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 refilling and perhaps we could talk about that because i have very strict criteria for dissolving um which we can get to but Yes. So as I, as, as mentioned, I, I was working as a GP and I stayed on in, in the practice. Um, and so I have my own area over there where I do um, my uh, procedures. It's, it's a very 
busy clinic. I'm booked very far ahead. I'm fully booked now till March 2022. So it's wow. very, uh, very busy. And um, the dissolving clinic forms a very uh, large part of it. So I'm dissolving pretty much on a daily basis, up to five a day, uh, every day. So these people that come for dissolving, they've presumably been to other practitioners. And why are they primarily seeking you? What's the the general gist of it? Well, I think think that um, they can see that uh, something is is not quite right. And it may be uh, kind of subtle, but uh, more often than not, it is something very obvious to them. Um, and there'll be a lot of emotional distress as a result of their uh, appearance. And so they'll present to my clinic, usually in a state of distress for dissolving within days of the procedure um, or weeks or years. And so my criteria for dissolving um, are when the result is very anesthetic or when the patient is in a great deal of emotional trauma. So it's not something I do sort of, you know, uh, just sort of casually, because, of course, it does have serious side effects and complications, such as severe allergic reactions, and I've had around 10 of those to deal with. Wow. Um, but, but given the number I've dissolved, it, it forms a small proportion, but significant nonetheless. And so it's something that should be taken very seriously, and the majority of the my dissolving work is to do, of course, with lips. But uh, I, I spend time sort of dissolving all areas um, of the face. Yeah. Um, it, it, the other limiting criteria is, you know, if someone's come and they've been sort of overfilled everywhere, then I, I tend to uh, sort of discuss other ways of managing it, um, from just waiting for it to dissolve naturally to trying. Things like radio frequency, uh, you know, which can accelerate degradation of the product. Um, so, yeah, that's basically it. From a business perspective, and someone that owns um, clinics in this space, I've always viewed the dissolving part of the procedure something that's quite risky in terms of, as you, as you sort of alluded to, patients can get allergic reactions. It can be quite traumatic, yeah. painful. Um, mm. you, you obviously don't know really what's been done. Um, unless I guess you get cooperation from the practitioner or the patient knows and can tell you everything. Sometimes they don't want to. Mm. Um, so how do you reconcile that from a business perspective in terms of risk and charging patients for that? Because it's it's quite a high risk um, undertaking and you're almost taking on someone else's it, headaches and problems. It, it It is, but I, so, you know, I don't overcharge. I don't overcharge with any of my procedures. I'm very reasonable. So for dissolving, I'll charge 250 pounds. Um, I don't know what that translates to in uh, Australian dollars, but for London, um, that is, 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 is very reasonable. And that will include two sessions of dissolving, although usually I get it by one uh, session on average. That's $445. And, That's almost bang on to what I charged. Oh, right. right. <laughs> so you can see, so I, I would consider something like that to be reasonable because you're right. Um, you know, you you do. There is risk involved, and then you need to deal with that. Um, but you know, there's also this kind of service you're offering, which is uh, really, really very helpful. 
you know, not just in, in terms of the physical appearance, but in terms of, uh, you know, the emotions. Mm. Um, so the, the emotional well-being of the patient, which uh, for me is really the priority here. I remember we had um, one of your country women on, uh, Isolde Hedenrich, and she was saying she won't uh, dissolve people unless they come with you know, almost like a referral letter. Not, you know, it doesn't have to be formal, but basically saying this is what I did and this is from the practitioner would you please help me and this is you know this is basically what I did and what I put in Mm -hmm. just so there's some sort of handover almost um which is fair enough and makes sense however the kind of cases that I see and dissolve are are pretty you know it's it's it looks pretty obvious uh what's what's been done and I mean I've even developed this classification system um which I'm sure you, well, which you may have heard of, yeah. um, um, uh, involving degrees of, of of spread, and the kind of spread I would deal with is uh, a class a class four, uh, which is which I've I've named a, a plateau. Uh, but you're right. For example, um, you know, well, what if the patient hasn't been injected with uh, with 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 hyaluronic acid mm-hmm. if they're coming in with a silicone injection. And so, yes, there is an element of risk, but most injections do involve um, hyaluronic acid. And we have now an epidemic of filler spread, as you know, which I put down to uh, poor, uh, poor technique, in particular tenting. And, uh, and so, so, you know, so... It, Yes, a handover, I suppose, would would help. But you also want to uh, be there for the patient and not prolong the um, the distress. Um, so help them as quickly as possible, really. Mm. And are these patients coming to you as a a first port of call, or are you the last person in a chain of desperate attempts to have this resolved? I mean, are they searching you out initially? I think what often will happen is. Well, there's there's two kinds of scenarios. Sometimes they'll go back to the practitioner for for the design, but other times they won't want anything to do with the practitioner again. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. They've had one bad experience and they think, my God, you know, okay. Um, and so, you know, then they will they will come to me uh, because my dissolving clinic is now quite fairly well known. And so so they, they will uh, contact me uh, directly. And usually they'll have a, a fair idea of the of of what's been done in terms of the filler used, um, and and we know what the common fillers are. Um, and so you know I haven't run into any problems. I have to say with respect to that, um, it's usually quite straightforward. And and you said that you're quite happy to take someone on even just a few days after them being injected. What what, what no, are your criteria no, for that? No. no. No, no, right. So very important. Exactly. They may present to me a few days or contact me a few days afterwards, but uh, the idea is, of course, to wait a couple of weeks for the filler to settle before okay. diving in there and causing, uh, you know, significant uh, trauma, especially in this during the time when the filler is trying to 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 settle. So at, at wait at least uh, a couple of weeks Fair before enough. before going in there. Mm. Now, do you, do you agree? No, no, I, I I do as well. You know, just because yeah. of swelling, bruising, is it exactly. really filler? Is it really just a bit of edema? And actually, you might like it in two weeks. Who knows? Um, Correct. Can you just sort Correct. of, you know, we, we, I, I know what it's like in the UK because I'm from there. But we, we sort of 
mentioned it several times of it's the wild west and it's crazy but can you just give us a a real picture of 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 your assessment of of what's going on who's injecting and and what 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 the worry is yeah well as we uh as we discuss there are no regulations uh, here so pretty much everyone injecting um and the yes look it's a worldwide problem in terms of um in terms of filler complications, and we're seeing a lot of it here. And part of it is to do with the lack of regulations. And so that's why I have such a busy dissolving clinic. But, you know, if if Instagram is anything to go by, and I believe that to a large extent uh, it, it is, then... This is a worldwide problem and something I see in your country as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. But when you say, you know, everyone is injecting, like who and, 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 and where are they injecting and, 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 you know, why are people going there? I, I, I sort of don't really well, people follow. Tend to, yeah, people tend to uh, mention beauty therapists and there are a lot of them injecting uh, here um, and... So yes, we see uh, at at my clinic. I, I do see lots of problems and complications from them. But the but the thing is, it's not just from them. It's also from uh, um, nurses and doctors who are very experienced and at the top of their game. Mm. And so this kind of introduces a whole another sort of level of problem, or uh, you know, to to discuss. So. Um, so, you know, so it could be, so that's the kind of thing. I mean, you could be a teacher and, um, and inject as well, uh, for example, and I've, I've seen that. Um, so, so that's what I mean. It's, it's, it's kind of across the board. A teacher, um, sorry, do you mean an actual school teacher? Yeah, yeah, like a school teacher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, wow. So, yeah. We, we they can only teach you so, after recess though, right? They can oh, only inject you after recess. <laughs> those kind of things going on and uh, amazingly they're able to get um somehow get get insurance for that um but there is a uh, tightening of that area now as well mm-hmm. so it, it, there, there is change there is change there is positive change it, it, it'll still take some time but i think we'll we'll get there out of curiosity um and i know this might be an unfair question because i'm not sure of the statistical breakdown of who's injecting, whether it's, you know, 50% doctors, mm. 20% nurses, but in terms of what you're dissolving, is there a particular sort of demographic of injectors that you're seeing more of these issues from? Is it, and is it form from more of that exaggerated look that we're going to get onto that it makes up the bulk of these people that you're treating or is it fairly spread across people just yeah. not liking the aesthetic or? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would have to say that it is fairly spread. Actually, and uh, you would think, well, most of the stuff comes from, you know, beauty therapists and teachers and so forth, but uh, it, it, it's across the board. So it, it, it's, it's fairly evenly spread, at least in terms of my experience here. What, what about you guys? Well, we, well, we we actually asked the same question to Lee Walker. He wasn't uh, on too long ago, a few podcasts ago. Yes. And we sort of said, well you know, the situation in the UK, is there any evidence because, you know, he runs one of these complication um, yeah, groups that, 
you know, the screw ups and, and the horrendous um, complications are from that mm. demographic. And he said, well, to be honest, no. Exactly. So it's almost exactly. like, you know, us doctors and nurses are sort of, you know, sneering down our noses at the beauticians without no, any no. evidence. Exactly. So I think exactly. it, it, well, it, it's worth having perspective on this problem that it's everyone. Is it just lucky or are we just waiting for Z to like? Well, you, you would assume that, you know, the people less trained with zero knowledge of anatomy at some point are, you know, if, you, if, if they'd had 100 injections in a row versus someone who was trained, that you'd assume mm. the complication rate would eventually mm. show itself, but hasn't yet, according to what Lee and yourself are saying. Mm. Right. And so this raises the other issues and that is, you know, what's going on and why are we getting these abnormal results um, with filler spread and not only relating to lips, but everywhere in the face. Mm. And part of it, I think, no doubt, is to do with um, our understanding of anatomy, which I think is quite poor, especially when it comes to the lips. And also uh, what I found is just a gross lack of artistry in our profession. Mm. So, um, and then, of course, we did a survey looking at uh, psychological problems and, and uh, image disorders. And uh, certainly from our survey, there is at least a suggestion and, and larger scale surveys are needed but that yeah. our profession um, attracts uh, people with, with image disorders such as body dysmorphic disorder. And then how does that play out and what does that mean for mm. the safety of our patients? And so these are all the issues um, that really we need to talk about and something I talk about all the time on, on Instagram. Mm. Well, it's not, I'm not joking. You know, this is obviously a serious topic, but you go to a conference, at least in Australia, and you look around and you're like, bloody hell. And joking aside, who is going to you who wants that aesthetic? You know, well, Exactly. It's not just in, in Australia. It's, it's in conferences here, certainly before lockdown. Um, it was something which was, you know, getting worse and worse. And even now you can see in, in these Zoom meetings or webinars, uh, the practitioners looking stranger and stranger. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to kind of, you know, take advice, uh, let alone treatment from someone uh, looking so odd. Um, and so this is really something we need to mm. address. And by the way, if there's people listening to this thinking, you know, that's really judgmental, I'm going to sort of uh, balance this sort of later on in this podcast. So please don't, uh, don't, don't log off just yet. No, no, no hits out on Jake just yet. But you, you, touched on, you touched on an interesting point, Steve, and you've talked about artistry. And I know that we're all, you know, I've obviously, you know, I've sat here with Jake on 121 of these discussions. Oh, poor you. Uh, and <laughs> we, 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 we sp we've spoken about this before about art and about, you know, the balance between yeah. art and science. But I mean, <clears throat> when, you, when you're training or teaching someone, is there an element of understanding proportions, symmetry, you know, things like the golden ratio? Is, is there sort of any deep dive into maybe looking at things from, from an artistic perspective rather than just focusing on you know what plane are you in is it safe or using cannula or needle like all these sorts of technical terms that you guys speak about and guys and girls speak about but in terms of mm. the artistic side of things and understanding not just from an anatomical perspective but from a beauty perspective an artistic perspective 
Yeah, I mean, well, we often do talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, proportions and uh, uh, things like the golden ratio. But of course, these things are extremely uh, limited. There is no substitute to an artistic eye. Mm. Um, and so I, for example, encourage uh, all practitioners to really, uh, for example, draw and develop their artistic acumen because really what we're doing is art. And, uh, you know, many of us refer to ourselves as artists, but then you look at the results and there is really nothing artistic about it. It's like the drawing of a five-year-old. <laughs> and so these are the kind of things we need to uh, we need to really be focused on and develop more. And I talk about the need for art classes. We're developing our uh, knowledge of anatomy at a fantastic uh, rate. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're sort of discovering new stuff all the time on a near weekly basis and uh, uh, really uh, getting good at it. But of course, what is being left behind is the artistry. And uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, that is such an important part of, 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 of what we do. I mean, you know, uh, so obviously, yes, the importance of knowing, understanding uh, normal anatomy uh, for safety, especially. But then, of course, it needs to be integrated with uh, artistry and uh, art classes, things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, really. You know, and uh, I mean, you mentioned the golden ratio, and um, you know, there are codes as well. I don't yeah. know. You, you, uh, Jake might know a thing or two about those. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so while they may have some some place, there is, I feel, an over reliance on them to the point where I can tell what uh, you know, which codes, for example, were used in a patient uh, when they present. That that can't be a good thing if you can tell even from and i'm not saying you you jake i i think your work is great thank you but, um, but sort of i can tell and especially at my dissolving clinic i can often tell where the patient has been in other words who the practitioner was by the kind of look they present with and that can't be a good thing and again i keep on coming back to this and that is uh, the, the the example of tenting where everyone uh, pretty much uh, looks the same and tenting is the same as Russian lip technique. It is exactly the same thing. Um, and so, you know, we're busy making everyone look the same. And that is not only to do with a poor understanding of a anatomy, but a gross lack of artistry. I'm just going to jump in and ask just a patient question because if I was listening to this and I wasn't overly familiar, can you just explain either of you what the term tenting means and why it's a problem? Uh, I'll let you do it, Steve. So people like to talk about different forms of tenting and each, they even like to rename it. So they, you know, they, they, they put their own names on it and then um, they, you know, they add a couple of horizontal injections and say, oh yes, it's, it's, it's completely different and it's user dependent. Well, everything is user dependent, but tenting essentially involves vertical injections from the vermilion border. And it might be uh, from the white roll or uh, the uh, border itself. Uh, the vermilion side, all the way down to the wet, uh, dry border, typically involving multiple uh, risky injections down to down to this area. And the patient and the practitioner, I should say, will, will often say, well, no, they're not busy injecting down at the white, uh, dry border. But then, of course, you can see the margin of the lip 
is horizontally straight. And so, of course, they're, they're busy doing that. And so why, are, why is this procedure so risky? Uh, it's, it's because it, the labial artery, of course, uh, sits there. And, uh, and uh, so you get an increased risk of a vascular occlusion. And, uh, you know, so then people say, well, oh, you keep on quoting this Cotifana studies, which, which shows a, a study which shows 60% increased chance um, of, uh, of vascular compromise uh, with, with tenting. But all the Cotifana study did was confirm what we already know. And there are many, many studies to show where the labial artery is located. And so, uh, you know, uh, making multiple punctures along the border and going down to the, uh, that is the Vermilion border and going down to the wet dry border uh, does present an increased risk. And there are other risks, of course, if you're going, if you're busy puncturing the border so many times, up to 40, 50, 60 times in one session, you are, you, you know, you're going to have to expect some degree of uh, permanent fibrotic change, mm. which will compromise the closed system of the lips. So this is really a horrible procedure. Um, and I believe has set our industry back many, many years. And unfortunately, again, if Instagram is anything to go by, uh, looks to be the most uh, popular technique at the moment because it is, it's, it's a kind of trendy thing. But, it, but, you know, let's not fool ourselves, a dangerous thing too. And at my busy dissolving clinic, it is the number one cause for problems. We've gone headfirst into the deep end, so let's stay in the deep end. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there's so many things I want to ask. L let's just go back um, a couple of steps. So, first of all, filler. How long do you believe it lasts? You know, uh, you know, a practitioner will say to their patient, mm. six, maybe 12 months if you're lucky, and then we'll see you again for your lips. That, that's the standard chat. I know you probably don't do that, and, and it depends on the filler and so on, but... What do you believe uh, yeah, is, is I mean, true? Do you mean generally, or are we yeah, generally? On, let, let's just focus on um, lips per se. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that uh, depending on the filler type and the uh, layer in which it is injected and the amount of it, uh, there, there's there can be a lot of variation. But certainly, and and we know this that fillers last a lot longer than what uh, we thought or what the manufacturers have been telling us and uh, the wonderful work of Mobin Master there in your country. Yeah, he's a good friend of ours. And he's, you know, he's really made some great contributions there. Um, and so certainly it can last many, many years, a lot longer than, than what we thought. And the, the phenomenon of filler spread is, of course, not just confined to the lips, where we perhaps see it most commonly, but to all areas of the face, as demonstrated in some of his uh, MRI studies. Um, now, with respect to the lips, and particularly with fillet spread, I found that typically, depending on the extent, again, depending on the filler and the extent of spread, it can last anywhere from two to five years, but in a significant proportion of patients, it never goes. Mm. It, it's there for good. However, it may be dissolved at any time. So that's the, the, the encouraging news. So in summary, yes, lasts a lot longer than, than 
what we we think, and I'm sure you'd agree with that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. One. I, I do agree because you know we see it, and and the classic ones, the tear trough, where you know it was it was done Correct. maybe suboptimally by by another injector, and and I can have patients for years, and I sort of sometimes if it's that obvious, I'll say to them, look, I, I really think that it would be best for you if we just dissolve this thing that you've never mentioned mm-hmm. <laughs> no offense um and other times you know if it's sort of not so bad i might just leave it and, and let them volunteer it you know it depends it's, it's all different but yeah we, we see these problems that like you said for years and and the under eye seems to last five ten years you know I, I can, mm. uh, and that again is the work of mobin but the one thing i did say to mobin and shout out to mobin if you're listening is the one thing I'd love to do or, or him to do or someone to do is actually take a biopsy of that thing that he's seeing on his MRI because I would love to know, is that truly filler or is that some sort of edematous fluid or a mixture or fibrotic fluid or, I mean, it looks like a fluid signal or, or a filler signal, but Correct. that that's just, you know, it's just a, a signal. It doesn't mean it is filler. Yeah, it may be a combination of things. Um so filler along with uh, uh, fibrosis, um, potentially, and fluid um, yeah. may all be involved. Um, certainly something worth discussing with him, for sure. Yeah, because you know, our patients come back and they go, oh, it's all gone. I need some more, doc. And you're like, no, I, I'm pretty sure it's still there. You know, I can see it. And it's almost yeah. like, you know, how do we prove this stuff? Because the patients mm. are always coming back saying, I think I need more. So is that some sort of, um, what's the word? I'm going to call it filler creep, where patients sort of get used to it and, and it's definitely still there, but they can't see it because, you know, they're looking at their face every day and they, they've lost appreciation for yeah. the change. Or yeah. is there something in it? How, how, you know, does the filler integrate and then and the, the clinical effect drop, but the filler is still there? Is there a bit of both? Yeah, I think... Possibly a bit of both. Um, I think certainly with respect to lips, it doesn't seem to ever go. And that may be related to uh, some fibrotic change, I would imagine. Um, But potentially some of the fellow just sort of sits there uh, for a good length of time. Mm. Uh, And so, you know, yes, we say with lips six to 12 months, um, but there will be some sort of leftover, possibly from the fellow, again, possibly from uh, fibrosis. We don't, we don't know 100%. And so it's very important for us not to get into this mm. kind of habit or routine of saying, you know, yes, every six months, you know, kind mm. of thing which we, which, which we see, because that is, of course, a contributing factor to the overfilled uh, face, lips included, and that—that that was the um, the conference we had. Uh, very, very good conference we had recently, the overfilled faces conference, where we discussed uh, all these things. Hmm. And so again, it's it's also about it's, it, it boils down to education uh, again, and about educating our patients and the kind of things we're, we're talking about now really need to be discussed with the patient. They mm. need to understand that, that, uh, you know, just because we or the manufacturers say, you know, yes, six to 12 months, uh, doesn't mean that it will necessarily be the case. They need to know that. Mm. 
What are the pharmaceutical companies saying? I mean, they put out this data, they, they teach people, inject these products, this is how long they're going to last, and you'll use that as the basis to educate your, your patients. How did, how, did it, how did they get it so wrong? Or I mean, uh, you know, uh, allegedly get it so wrong because there's so many people now. You're not the first person that's had, said this. You've mm-hmm. had multiple people on that have said this lasts so much longer. So what is the, I mean, Jake, you work quite closely with, with, you know, with the company and what's their stance on it? I mean, I'm surely people are reporting that this is lasting much longer and mm. what's, what's their reply? I think it's more the case of, you know, when you, when you get a product to market and I'm just saying this from, from my guesswork, I, I can't prove or know this, but let's say a new filler comes on the market and, you know, it's either in America, it's FDA approved or in Australia, TJ approved. They have to, they have to say something. So for example, the, the trial might go on for two years and, and they'll be able to say, you know, hand on heart, yes, this lasts at least two years. But that doesn't mean that they haven't followed up the study for another four or five years in in mm. the background for their own knowledge. But to get it approved and onto the market, they can say lasts approximately well up to 24 months. Doesn't mean it doesn't mm. last longer. It's yeah. just that, you know, mo- most people, I guess most patients are used to a finite time period of one to two years mm. or six months to two years, yeah. depending on mm. the type of filler. But um, I don't think they're, they're not saying that it can't last longer. It's, it's almost like a minimum rather than a maximum. Mm, okay. All right. Right. And, and the other thing which is important is also what we're finding out is the changing rheological properties of fillers in vivo, right? Yeah. So there's some, a fillow, particularly a lip filler, which starts off uh, soft, can actually harden over time. or um, And so that requires further investigation as well, because we talk about rheological properties as if they are something static. And so really a lot more studies are required in that area as well. Mm. Rheology, it's... Um Reality, very, yes. very fancy sounding word. I, I looked it up before we went on the podcast, but I'm sure there's people <laughs> who aren't injectors listening to this that what are going, what on earth are they talking about? So, By the way, we're not asking you to do this, Steve. No. We're doing a podcast in two okay. weeks with... Yeah, if you're yeah. a listener and you want to know about rheology, yes. we've got Hervé Raspaldo <laughs> coming on soon right. and he's going to talk about filler rheology. So <laughs> that'll be a good one. Um Talking about fillers lasting, and you know, you're you're an injector who who very much likes the natural sort of anatomical look. How do you do your imaging? I'm just curious to know what you're doing to sort of almost prove to patients that there you go, there was your starting point. I'm I'm with you in 12 months, and and the result is still there. Presumably, you're using imaging to talk to them about that and show them that. When you say imaging. I- well, I'm, I'm using photographs. Yeah, um, clinical photography. I, Sorry. I have my new ultrasound uh, device, which we can talk about the Clarice ah. L20. I don't work for them, but it's a fantastic uh, device. I'm just getting uh, familiarized with it. It's not easy. Yeah. But I think it will certainly be an essential part of our practices before long. Um, so, yes, I mean, one, it's important for practitioners to take sort of lots of photos. Um, and keep them on file for future use, um, and certainly to show the patient um, with time um, the sort of uh, kind of changes that are taking place. Um, and so, you know, that that is the kind of thing I will be using along with very careful documentation of uh, what I'm doing. 
Um, but, you know, the, the kind of, and Jake, we spoke about this, the, the kind of patient I seem to attract is someone who is looking for a natural uh, look, right? So yeah. if someone wants a tenting or if they want to look like an alien, <laughs> then they, they know that they, that they know not to come to me. They'll, they'll go to a um, another area of London. So, um, so I think that plays uh, a big role too, which is, expectations patients uh, know what to expect um uh, as well when when they come to see me and they know that i uh, won't do anything uh, dodgy or go overboard with the filler and, and i think um, um obviously that's that's a very uh, important part of of the business um, and that is to do with uh, um, authenticity being real um and establishing a rapport or having trust with uh, with the patient. Yeah, it's funny when we were sort of having our our preparation chat the other day, we were sort of saying that well, your Instagram's much bigger than mine, and and I think you put a lot more care and effort into it. But I think both of well, I use my Instagram as almost like a a pre consult uh, sort of edu- mm. educational you know point so so people who come to me for example under eyes they almost know what i'm going to say before i've met them and and i'm guessing it's the same for you if someone comes to you for lips they know exactly what you're going to say i don't do tenting i do the non-surgical lip lift i'm only going to use half a meal like you know i know that you're sort of key points so i'm guessing you're just filtering the people who come to you by definition because you've already told them <laughs> Correct, correct. But I do, you know, but I, I do see all sorts and especially with, with my dissolving clinic and I always see it as an opportunity to to educate. And so, you know, it's, it's not that I'm trying to uh, win everyone over to, you know, my technique or as I've been accused of, you know, trying to make my light shine brighter and all that sort of nonsense. Um, really... What I care about is number one, safety, mm. and um, and I hundred percent believe that um, there is greater safety associated with a a natural look, where less is more. And uh, if you're overfilling and using dodgy techniques uh, such as tenting, then you are subjecting the patient to greater risk and i firmly believe that and that isn't to say again that i think practitioners set out on harming patients of course not that isn't what i'm saying i, I need to clarify that this is, this is you know this is the kind of backlash i keep getting um, yeah I, I wanted to ask you so you know i've obviously followed your work for a while but it seems like four six eight weeks ago something triggered you <laughs> And um, you sort of went on this crusade, uh, you know, almost every <laughs> post was about, you know, you know, bad technique and you did your live with Tim and then you had people trolling you, sort of abusing you. And it almost felt like, you know, what you were trying to say, which was just educational, sort of not, not backfired because mm. you, you didn't, you didn't really have a, an agenda, but it, it, it irritated injectors who were doing those techniques because it felt like an attack on them. Oh yeah, oh yes, no, it's it's alienized me from a lot of uh, injectors. Uh, a number of them have, uh, you know, sort of stopped following me or, or don't don't comment anymore on, on my posts and, and 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 so forth and so forth. Um, 
look, the the thing with uh, with tenting was it um, with with my dissolving clinic, which I only reopened uh, was about a year ago. Um, you know, I I started seeing a lot of it, and so it's it's really moved me. Yeah. Um, to see the kind of damage it is causing, not only physically but but psychologically, and that is why I brought it to the forefront. To me, it represents everything that is wrong with our industry, um, which are the kind of things we mentioned: lack of education, poor artistry, um, and also uh, increased uh, risks. And so that is why I um, sort of. Uh, targeted that, shall we say, but the intention has never been to target specific practitioners who who use this technique. But of course, they've made it about themselves. You see, now where I did not mention any names, I didn't s- specify any particular injector. They it, it became about about them, and this is another issue in our industry, which is you know this kind of uh, this kind of egotistical presence uh, we have where it becomes more about the injector, you know, rather than the technique. And we need to uh, be able to separate the two. Um, and so that's what I keep on, on making clear. I'm not, uh, you know, attacking any or after any um, uh, injector. You know, I wish everyone all the success in the world, but you know, if you're doing a procedure which has, uh, which is clearly distorting anatomy, clearly distorting anatomy, I mean, for goodness sakes, and uh, subjecting the patient to greater risk, then we need to have a discussion about it, mm. you know, without, start, without starting to sort of, you know, trying to divide our community up into, you know, haters and, and, and you know, all these, you know, childish, this kind of, it's become really childish, actually. Um, you know, of course, we all have our haters, but this isn't about uh, an, an issue of, of, of haters. This is, uh, this is about, we need to look at the bigger picture. This is about aesthetic medicine, uh, about where we are at right now and, um, and, and the risks involved. And really, we need to examine this more closely. And so that's why I uh, specifically started, you know, looking at tenting or discussing tenting on Instagram. And I use my own technique, and I keep mentioning this, as a way of showing that you can get normal-looking results as well uh, with a minimal amount of filler and less risk. But any other technique, you know, I, I welcome any other technique that does the same. So it's not about trying to promote my own technique or promote myself. I don't need the extra business as such. I mean, I'm, you know, this isn't my mission here. Um, my mission here is a return to normality and safety. What do you think's perpetuating this aesthetic though? Because we've spoken about poor technique, we've spoken about um, artistry. Um, perhaps it's worth exploring another possibility, which is um, being driven by patients, um, social media, celebrities, um, and it can sometimes become this sort of self-perpetuating loop mm. where patients demand an aesthetic, an injector who let's just pick up a you know let's just uh, 
something rare, like just a, a scenario of a new injector who's just entered in the industry, trying to mm-hmm. make their way. There's got commercial pressures. Clients are demanding a certain aesthetic. They give yeah. them that. Their friends come and see them. All of a sudden, they're caught in this cycle of, well, how do I say no now? How do I get myself out of this situation? So maybe it's worth exploring, you know, that sort of area as well and how we can, I guess, as a community, help those people, um, I guess, come back to, as you sort of suggested, some sort of normality. Yeah, and as you mentioned, there may be money incentive to do it for, for practitioners, especially if they're starting out or if they're well into their career, then just greed, uh, which, we, which we see from the manufacturers um, as well. And so, so that definitely uh, plays a role, but I think we need to take a step back and really assess our position and our duty of care to patients which is to first do no harm. And that has to take priority, which it isn't at the moment. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, sorry, Jack, I'm just no. going to say, because I mean, as a clinic owner, I've seen these these confrontations take place. I've seen the battles that can take place between an injector and an, an aggressive self-entitled patient that has a very strong opinion about what it is they want to achieve. And it can be quite uncomfortable. It can be quite difficult for the injectors to sort of navigate their way um, out of those those confrontational situations. So, do you have any advice or how you would approach that? Well, correct, and that and that's really why we do need to actually stand together as a community and 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 make a stand against these uh, kind of um, procedures and and results. I believe, um, but then that goes into a whole other problem of uh, many many practitioners actually not being able to see the problem or or, or refusing to 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 see the problem but i think if a patient comes and is making these kind of uh, requests then it certainly is an opportunity to educate them and explain to them the risks involved and why you don't want to uh, get involved in doing that and that there are other healthier options for the patient but yes if the patient becomes aggressive or uh, doesn't want to listen well there are you know I'm sure there are plenty of practitioners down the road who will listen to them and then do it and do uh, what they want. And of course, again, that is part of the problem. Mm. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Dave? Well, yeah, look, when I was planning this podcast with David and to be honest, we've wanted you on for a long time, but, um, you know, timing wasn't right. But anyway, um, I was kind of always mindful of the fact that we're both male injectors we both mm. have a similar aesthetic, which is making people look mm. normal, respecting anatomy, mm. et cetera, et cetera, whatever that means, because there'll be people out there saying, well, I do as well. But I'm going to pour some petrol on the fire. Um, what if we've what if we've got a blind spot as, as men or, or, or as particular injectors or however we've been trained? Maybe we're not understanding what women want. Maybe uh, we just have an aesthetic that is conservative, and and you know there are there are injectors that can push the boundary. Obviously, there's there's a limit. You know, like you said, well, the title of of our podcast is you know involves the word alienization. So I think most people could agree that someone could look very odd, and we've we've seen those people, but. 
there's a grey ground. I think Julie Horn was talking about it on, on, on our podcast that we did with her, that, you know, there's a spectrum. And your lips that you do, they're, they're beautiful, but I was sort of joking with David Offair before we started that if you mm. did those lips in, in one of our, or one of his clinics or, or, or a clinic, mm. you know, in, in Australia, there may be many patients who come back and go, oh, nothing happened. You know, because <laughs> that's just how it is in certain towns and cities. The look is bolder. Uh, the the no, there's this misconception, um, firstly about my procedure, and that is that you can attain uh, very big results. But as I just posted, now it's it's really we need to educate our patients and ourselves that it's it's not just about size. It's 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 about it's about shape. More importantly, yeah. Um, now you say, you know, who, who are we as men? But of course, most of my patients, 95% are women. So I constantly am in touch with them and get their feedback. <laughs> so I think most of us have a pretty good idea about what's go, uh, going on out there. Um, you know, so, so, uh, so the question again is, you know, this kind of gray area that you mentioned. And well, yes, but. I think that this this kind of gray. Why can't the gray area still involve something which which looks uh, which looks normal? Since when is normal not beautiful? And this is what we need to start getting our minds back to. Normal can be normal is beautiful and it can be sexy. We don't need to sort of go off the rail and start inventing our own uh, kind of uh, look, which is what uh, tenting has done. Has nothing to do with. Uh, with with uh, with a natural look at all, mm. why do we need to you know go off the rails, especially when there is a risk involved, and start pretending like you know like nothing's happening, as if it's uh, as if it's normal, um, because you know the results from tenting may be interesting. There's these these type of results, uh, you know, in the way that. Um, these sort of cheeks which stick out and the chins which are, are, are protruding and, and all that kind of thing might, might be interesting to some, but let's not confuse interesting uh, with, uh, with 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 not looking normal, yeah. okay, or with normality. So 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 that that is my answer, and uh, it, that that you know. Um, Certainly, I deal with uh, women all day long, and I'm in, in, in touch with them all day long. Uh, not just on Instagram, but they, you know, they are 95% of my patients, and so I have a, I would say by now, a very good uh, understanding of, of what they want. Not all women want the same, in the same way that not all men want the same. But it is our responsibility and duty of care, whether we are male practitioners or female practitioners to make sure that we're not harming them. Yeah. I mean, I w the, the caveat is that, and we've already said it, that you've already pretty much self-filtered the positive ages, the, cons the likely more conservative people who come to you. And therefore, there is a bigger, wider world of other patients who maybe don't want that. Mm -hmm. well, and that's yeah. what other injectors are contending right. with and catering okay. to. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, I, I I deliberately sort of stopped posting lips. No, no. Not that I did many, uh, as in you know posts, but I I just stopped because I thought I don't want that younger patient wanting bigger lips coming to me because it's not what I like delivering, and I found it just stopped it. People don't come to me because I don't advertise it. Mm. So similar to what so you do. Be clear on on 
you know, when you say bigger lips, bigger lips, there's nothing wrong with bigger lips. Bigger lips are, you know, bigger lips are fine. It's it's about uh, whether it matches the other features of the face, of in course. particular the, the eyes, and 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 we were talking about proportions, and so you know, we, we, we need to um, consider it. But but I think that the question is distortions. Okay, so when some this, tenting involves distortions of shape. Okay, it it it's you're flattening the lip out, you're indenting the tubercles, um, you are causing an abnormal look. So the question then is, do we as professionals promote abnormality? In mm. other words, or do we take a stand, not only because of how we feel about the look, but because we know that there is increased associated risk with this procedure, um, right? And there's still a lot we, we don't know about it. And I mentioned fibrotic change and, and, and certainly things which are, are becoming very apparent at my, my clinic. And I hope to write a paper about it. Um, so, 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 you know, we, we need to start questioning. I had this discussion with, with Tim Pierce. You know, wh what is our role in all this? You know, is it just to cater to everyone or is it to actually uh, put the brakes on at some point? And this isn't a man, woman or male, female issue. This is uh, something uh, we need to get beyond that. This is something much bigger um, in, in, in terms of our industry. Yeah. Um, I don't think it boils down to a, a, a sort of uh, or can be boiled down to a, a, a man-woman issue. Yes. Yeah. I'm mindful of... Do, do you agree with that? No, no I, I certainly do. And, you know, when I first started injecting, you know, similar to what we were just saying, you, you can feel like you're performing monkey. Someone comes and says, I want this, and you go, okay, and you deliver, and, you know, 90% are happy, 10% come back saying nothing happened, and, and you eventually learn, and, and, and you tweak your technique and your aesthetic, and you become more skilled at talking to people, and it, it, it's not it's not a yes or a no, it's not a binary thing, it, it's much more layered mm. and nuanced than that. Maybe just to throw a different That's spin all, on this, and um, I guess play devil's advocate, you know, we... we putting the health issues aside and, you know, causing harm to patients physically, we use the word art, right? I might hang a painting on my wall that you absolutely detest. I might love it. I might decorate my house in a way that I love but you don't like. I might drive a car that's obnoxious and loud and pink and does all sorts of weird things. I mean, who are we to say what people can and can't and can't like or what their taste should be. I said ignoring the, the, the patient safety issue, but just from an aesthetic perspective. And I'm not saying I agree with this, but I know there's people probably listening saying, well, who are you to say what's acceptable and what's not? Well, I think just by using nature as our guide reading mm. uh, is, is, is the answer. So that's where it, it differs, let's say, to, uh, uh, let's say, contemporary art. Mm. And I did a post on this where, you know, we're, we're not here to sort of bring our own brand of art to aesthetic medicine. We are here to work artistically with it. And there is a difference between the two. Mm. And especially if we know that the kind of deviations as in tenting um, and distortions, especially when they are associated with increased risk, then it, it just, it, it becomes, um, I think, in my opinion, something very obvious that we not only understand, but also respect nature and natural anatomy mm. and work with it artistically. 
And I think that is the difference. Does that answer it? Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's like when you get a patient coming to you and 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 their fear, and you know, can see it in their eyes. You can smell the the mm-hmm. fear that they don't want to look weird, and, and they voice it, and they say, "Well, yeah. I'm scared. I've never done filler before." Blah blah blah. And you know, my answer to that is, well, of course, I don't want you to look weird either. I'm just going to respect your anatomy and mm. just soften what you've lost, not give mm. you something you never had. So, so that's sort of the crux of the point, isn't it? You're you're not trying to augment; you're trying to um, enhance, replace, or exactly. enhance. Yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. Yeah. So, and yes, so and one thing we haven't really discussed is the sort of the so the, the psychosocial um, uh, sort of effects, you know, of having a uh, a procedure such as tenting and, and walking around with alien lips, and that is how do how do others also respond okay yeah. so i don't know if you've had this experience talking to someone who who has uh, uh, alien type features it's very difficult to conduct a conversation with them you your the eye kind of becomes very focused and mm. because you're we, you know we are from an evolutionary uh, point of view meant to uh, sort of uh, to to really interact with our own species and when there is deviation from normal anatomy, then it's a whole new ball game, and so this must have. Um, and again, I discussed this with Tim. Uh, must have a a kind of feedback. There's a feedback loop on the patient. So if mm. you you know if they're walking around looking uh, weird, then they're going to people are going to start interacting with them in a certain way, which is also going to uh, affect them psychologically. Yeah, uh, most likely. And this is an area which you know. Um, I'm studying now with a team of psychologists, um, and um, you know it's 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 an area which requires uh, a lot more looking at and studying. We we always put mental health uh, aside. You know, it's it's uh, it's just it's it's not as sexy a topic, shall we say, but mm. but one which needs to be addressed. Yeah, do you think there's an element of potentially? injectors not having the right tools or skill set at their propo- at their um, disposal to achieve the look they're trying to. I, I often see sometimes in um, slightly more mature patients who obviously are trying to revolumize their face and perhaps there's so much loss of collagen, there's no elasticity, and then the injector looks like they've gone, well, I've got a nail, you know, like, you know I've just, I've, I've only got one tool at my disposal. I'm going to throw in, you know, tons and tons of filler, but potentially that's not the problem. Maybe there's other tools that need to be used. So things like, you know, your, okay. your bio, your, uh, your collagen stimulators. So like your radius or your sculpture, I mean, where do you see those fitting into the arsenal of an injector? And, you know, do we, do you feel like perhaps they're not um, considered enough when looking at treating the face? Yeah, I think, I think everything you've mentioned there is correct. I, I particularly have a problem with radius. I, I think the, the use of, of non-reversible fillers is, is well, that's a, a topic for um, uh, another debate perhaps. But, uh, <laughs> we'll get you I, I back for another one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe those, uh, there can be justification to using those type of fillers which are not reversible, but that's just my opinion. Um, I think that everything you say is correct. Um, and I would add to that that we need to know our limitations with respect to non-surgical uh, procedures, and uh, you know, not just attempt everything. And that doesn't only apply to lips. Um, certain lips, uh, lip types, for example, when when they are extremely thin or where there is a, a long or protruding philtrum, 
may be more amenable to surgical intervention in much the same way where there is, you know, uh, excess uh, sagginess of the skin, uh, which would be more uh, appropriate for surgical intervention. So we, we need to know our limitations and we need to know when to say uh, no and, uh, and, and, and be very honest and upfront with this, mm. uh, about this with, with our patients. You know, we, 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 we can't do everything with, 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 with needle. It's just not possible. Do you agree? I definitely agree. And I think mm. I, I'm trying to remember the last patient who I said no to, who was unhappy. They all seem to sort of appreciate the fact that they haven't wasted exactly. a couple of grand and they they have more trust in you. They might come back for something more okay. simple and say, yeah. well, I'm not going to do the facelift, but I appreciate you telling me that we can't do the filler. Yeah. Uh, they appreciate so, honesty. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and you being authentic. And that seems to be something which is quite rare these days in our, uh, in our profession and really needs to change. So, yeah. we, you know, we, we really need to win over the trust of of uh, of our patients and continuing with these ridiculous type procedures is not going to win over their trust on the long term. I want to ask you. I, I don't know if you have a limit on on how many meals of filler you might for do some do for someone in one session. But you know, I, I don't do it every day, but I, I sometimes do larger amounts. And I've been criticised, you know, just by peers. Not hopefully not online. I don't think I've seen it online. But people saying, "Oh, here's Jake at it again. He's gonna." create pillow faces and yet you know i don't see it in my patients and, and they come mm. back happy and and i'm sort of hopefully known for kind of a natural look but where do you stand with using larger volumes do you have a limit or or is it again is it technique and nothing to do with the volume because some yeah, some I people need it our, yeah 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 i think our uh, perhaps our approach uh, is uh, different in that area um so my aerial focus is, and, and you would think from looking at Instagram that all I do is lips. Actually, it, it, it's not. It's just a part of what I do. The, the reason I'm focused on that is because to me, it, it represents what's wrong in our industry. And that's why I keep on going on about it. But when it comes to the face as a whole, then um, what I do is something called facial reshaping, which again, doesn't require a lot of filler. Mm-hmm. Um, and it involves peripheral injections periosteal injections mostly to restore the ideal uh, shape of, of, of the patient, which is what I'm focused with. Even in my approach with, with lips, it's, it's a holistic uh, less is more approach. So I um, always start with, the, with restoring the ideal facial shape. Um, and more often than not, it doesn't require much. So we're looking at maybe a couple of syringes, maybe three at most. Um, and you get correction of volume deficit by actually um, rotating uh, things back out, um, I find. Now, in certain patients where they come with heavy-duty sort of volume deficits, um, then I feel that they may be, in general, appropriate for other type uh, procedures, maybe more surgical interventions, um, and so I tend to refer those type of patients on, but I, you won't ever find me doing something like a, a, a mega session or a mega filler session, you know, with, uh, you know, like 18 fillers and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember the last time I used uh, more than three fillers on a face. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, 
that's that is conservative but it it's amazing because you know you do do great work so i applaud you you mean uh, three mils what yeah. you're doing seems to work for you and and um, obviously and i think that as long as you are doing it uh as as long as safety is is taken into account which which in of, of course in your case it is and that and that the results look natural then i think it's it's okay the only concern i have with using lots of fillers in the face is the uh is is that I don't think we know everything as yet. And mm-hmm. we keep on finding out, for example, now about filler migration. And the question is, is there an association with that? And also changing rheology of the filler, mm-hmm. right? So something that looks great now in terms of, let's say you've put five, six, seven, eight fillers in the face. How is it, how is it, what, what, what is the deal like in sort of, you know, in 10 years, what's going, what, what are the, what is the downside in other words? Mm-hmm. And I think that needs to be looked at uh, carefully, mm. and I think that if you're erring on on the side of less, then you you're probably in a, a safer area. Mm. Yeah, fair that's enough. That's my opinion. Yeah, well, I guess just touching on on filler migration, um, why does why do you think it occurs, um, and does it just sort of depend on where in the face you're injecting it? Um, you know, the depth, or you, like for example, injecting it in sort of the deeper fat compartments versus the lip mucosa, for example. I mean, is is are there some are there lots of variables involved? I, I think this, firstly, there, other than the MRI, excellent MRI studies, I mean, we don't fully understand the mechanism of spread. There's, there's a lot, and, and all the things that you, you mentioned there probably uh, play, play a role. Um, certainly, overfilling seems to be a, a cause everywhere. Um, so that the more you put in, the more chance there is going to be of filler spread and migration, and that particularly relates uh, to the lips. But speaking about the lips, when you uh, you know when you're co- going to compromise a closed uh, system, uh, which is uh, delineated by um, by a, a, um, um, let's say a, a muscular apneurotic um, adhesions or, or whatever, then you know, you, you're going to you're going to cause the filler to to come out, and uh, and and that's certainly what we see when you're busy injecting the vermilion uh, border and and compromising it. So so there's that to consider too. I mean, all sorts of things really, and we need to look at look at this more closely and and study study it. Now, you know, just. Talking about filariology because, and something important I think to mention is that we tend to blame fillers a lot for uh, filler spread. And, uh, you know, I, I won't mention names, but of course everyone knows, you know, what we're, we're talking about, um, uh, certain hydrophilic uh, fillers. But, you know, again, that the fillers themselves or the filler itself, does it, it doesn't have its own mind okay so it doesn't decide to migrate one day <laughs> yeah it's it's the practitioner i believe who is misplacing the filler that is uh that is the problem and that is why i like to refer to it as filler spread rather than migration because migration implies that the filler does have a mind of its own and decides <laughs> to go on a journey one day which is not what it doesn't do that okay so if you're using a hydrophilic filler, which I think is actually an advantage in the closed system of the lips, shall we say, uh, not not in the tear troughs, obviously, but within the lips, then it acts as an advantage. You need less of it, 
and it tends to, um, I think, blend in nicer and uh, and looks better. Um, and so, um, and so, let's be careful with blaming fillers and um, return the focus to our skills. Um, let's not allow it to be a, a a diversion away from what from what is required, really. Yeah, that's a really good point. I had a patient the other day ask me because we were just softening sort of the marionette and pre-jowl and she said can this go into my can it roll down into my neck and you know consumers how, how would they know so it's a pretty good question i thought because you know why not um but you know I, I i think consumers and if if they're listening that they imagine filler to sort of be like a marble that can just roll around mm. if they scratch their face a bit too hard um so no i i don't think that does happen that's not one yeah that's you know and, and the fat compartments they're sort of i describe it to patients is to divide into sort of a, a ground level and a first level so there's your superficial and deep and then divide into rooms so you know they're, they're sort of blocked off by little compartments and, and so we're only reinflating like little balloons of fat we're not stuffing your whole face like a turkey um I think that's an excellent way of describing it. And as long as we don't compromise those compartments, you know, and we're injecting at, at, at the, the right floor and so forth, then, then it, you know, then I don't think there's there's an issue. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that someone, maybe we'll get Mobin to do it, maybe we'll con him <laughs> to do it. You know, you don't just literally get someone who's filler naive and just inject like, you know, a bolus of, I don't know, 0.2 into the deep fat compartment and just leave it at that. And then go back and see what it looks like over, you know, a month, two months, six months, twelve months, mm. and just look. Yeah, you know, no, it's it's a pretty simple study. Well, um, interesting. I mean, I've had fillers before, Jake. I've been on. You haven't, have you? Uh, <laughs> you've done my treatments <laughs> once or twice. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I'm told as a patient that it takes a little while. The filler will integrate into your into your tissue, and it sort of meshes together. And there's this, you know, period of a couple of days where you have to be really a couple of weeks. You have to be careful. You don't want to sort of, you know, do anything to sort of compromise where it's put. So if it's integrating into the tissue, and that's where, where, what we're being told, then how how is it migrating? How's it moving if it's integrating? Well, because maybe it's not fully integrated. Okay. So, so that's I, I I I guess that's the thing. But again. It, needs to be looked at it needs to be studied yeah definitely do you agree jake yeah i mean it just seems well, like such a simple <laughs> study doesn't jake, it you need to get together with uh with with, with mobin you two i know it's because he's in melbourne i can we're, see a formidable thing there we, we've we have discussed this a few times about what we would do yeah and then all these kind of you know uh names and titles and descriptions that the manufacturers attach to their uh to their fillers you know this technology and that technology you know we've, we've really got to be careful with that um mm. i mean their their uh, main goal is just to really sell as much as possible and uh so we've we've always got to take it with a pinch of salt and really there are no studies not a single study demonstrating uh the, the um, benefit or the advantage of using one brand of filler over another. Mm. Not a single study uh, to show that. Um, and, you know, while they're busy talking about all those special technologies, there are no in vivo studies long-term to prove anything that they're saying. Yeah, mm. I mean, you know, 
all of the brands that that are obviously approved, at least in Australia, are, you know, they're, they're perfectly reputable and in the right hands mm. and with experience, you could probably learn yeah. to use either of them. I just choose to align with one brand because I've got good knowledge of it and I'm getting good results and I'm happy. Uh, that doesn't exactly. mean I'm knocking other exactly. brands. Mm. So, exactly. you know, I, exactly. I, I respect all all brands and, and all HAs, you know, as long as they're approved. Mm. Yeah, and take credit for what you do. Um, a lot on Instagram, you know, the practitioner will say, did these lips with, and mentions mentions the, the brand, or the brand did this, this lips, these lips. Mm. It's, it's not the brand didn't do anything. You did it, <laughs> and you should... Be congratulated for your great work. Don't transfer it over to the brand. Unfortunately, a lot of them are KOLs, and so that is why um, that, that's where that comes in, uh, um, in into the equation. That's another topic. Yeah. Mm. Can I go back to? I think you've mentioned the word tenting about. 400 times so far on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go into it in a bit more detail. So for, for those people who you know still not sure, you're basically vertically entering the lip from sort of the top down towards the, the wet part of the lip. That, that, that is tenting in, in a nutshell. Correct. Do you think that there are nuances to it? So for example, I know that your big thing, well, at least originally was going in from the outside of the, the, the white roll. And, and and then going down into the wet dry. So as you do your little thread of filler, you, you've literally almost popped that that closed compartment. You, you've created an, an exit route out of the lip. Is that essentially what you were saying? Yeah, you've 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 compromised you've you've compromised the border there, and you're basically yes, creating a uh, an, an an exit for the for the filler. Yes. Okay. Um, however. Um, and certainly what I found um, is that for problems to occur or for migration to take place, that is not uh, necessary as such in, in the sense that injections directly in the border, the red, the red side, the vermilion uh, border, um, will, compromise, uh, the, will compromise the closed system as well. And we need to understand how it does that. Certainly, if you're injecting multiple times, as you see uh, the injector doing, then there is going to be an element of fibrosis taking place, hmm. uh, most likely, as one would expect. But uh, studies with histology are required to confirm that. Certainly, it's it's what I see um, at my clinic in terms of distortions, and you can also palpate. You can you can actually feel. The kind of damage that is that is going on there. So, in terms of nuances, it's it's. I'm talking about the border, including the white roll, but also the vermilion. Mm. So, so just to just to be clear, and injections always will go down to the uh, wet dry border. And even if the the practitioner is saying, "Well, I don't inject at the wet dry border," but you can still see a straight horizontal edge mm. at the bottom. So clearly, they are. Um, and, and to me, that is risky. They may then say, well, I've never had a single case of a vascular occlusion or people I've taught have never had a single case of vascular. Well, how do you know? Yeah. Well, they may, may not have come back or you may not have seen it or exactly. it might have been subclinical. Exactly. Again, again, studies, studies are required, but certainly if you're injecting close to the, to, to the artery, then you are increasing risk. And especially when you're using multiple 
multiple injections. And so ideally, you want a procedure which uses the least number of injections and avoids the borders altogether. So, and, uh, so how do you create height on a lip? If you've got difficult shape lip, thin lip, M-shaped lip, whatever, do you... Just by following the normal, the normal anatomy. And that will involve um, something I refer to as a curved thread, um, which is a, a kind of motion like this to, mm-hmm. to, to augment the sort of curvature along with, the, um, along with addressing the tubicles. Uh, because the tubicles will help in rotation of of the lip, and so you will get you you will get height. Now, will you get as much height as with tenting? No, yeah. no, you won't. But but t- in order to get the kind of height with tenting, it requires a distortion of the lips. So if you if you ever look and and they they won't show this often, but if you look from the side, you'll see a flat lip. Yeah, right. Because with tenting. Yeah, yeah. Um. What about if you enter within the body of the lip, but still vertical, and create a mini uh, retrograde thread? Do you think there's any merit in that? You, you can do that, but how do you how do you then address the tubicles in that way? It just doesn't make sense to me. Listen, if you find a way of doing that, and there is uh, um, low risk involved, and your results look normal, then yes, I'm 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 all for it. Um, but it it it, it there is. A, a much simpler way of doing it, of augmenting uh, tubicles um, with horizontal type injections. So then they say, "Oh, well, if you're injecting horizontally, the you know the, the labial arteries run horizontally, you have more of a chance of a vascular occlusion." But of course, that's again nonsense because the you know the labial arteries, and in particular the superior labial arteries, very tortuous. Mm. So it doesn't run. It's a very so. It's a very two-dimensional way of thinking. This whole tenting thing, okay? Yeah. And uh, it's it, it. But in reality, we're dealing with three dimensions. And so now, what they've started doing is they've realized, oh my goodness, okay, we need to start augmenting the tubicles. And so what they'll do is they'll do a couple of uh, a few a few horizontal injections. They'll try go under the sort of vertical injections and try bring it out, but they mm-hmm. don't have a system to do it. And so it will look like the tubicle has just been plonked on there. It doesn't follow a kind of uh, aesthetic, uh, proportional way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I, I don't really have a technique. depends on, on the lip and... and yeah, and, what's um, your technique? Well, I don't have a technique, but but I don't tent and I don't decant into BD syringes and I definitely don't do sort of yeah. the machine gun tenting that, like you mm. said, is on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, mm. well, I, I'll normally use the the normal needle. I, I mean, my preferred product is Volift. I'm not pushing it. it, it it's just my preferred product for lip. It, it's kind of a medium G prime, um, medium sort of hydrophilic um, filler. And most of my mm. patients aren't looking for that augmented look. So... You know, that's why I do and it. That, that'll come with a 27 gauge needle, won't it? Uh, it's actually 30 gauge, so it's the yellow 30 gauge. Oh, it's gauge a 30 needle. gauge. Okay. Oh, right, right. So it's actually smaller. To be honest, I use Ultra, and which comes with a 27 gauge, but I have minimal trauma, and I keep on putting uh, videos and, and pictures to, to show that because it is such a. Um, because there are so few injections involved with the technique, and, and, and it is so gentle, and it involves such small amounts yeah. that you are traumatizing the lips uh, less you know 
and and it, it, there's also less pain involved. I mean, mm. the Vermilion border is 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 packed with uh, with nerve endings. And we we know that it, it's 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 the most sensitive area of the lip. Yeah. And so you're going through it 30, 40 times. I mean, how do you justify that? My goodness. Well, I just don't think it's necessary. I mean, I I, I can't <laughs> understand why you would need so many entry points. But, um, you know, anyway, going back to technique. So I would almost come in, I would say it's like a, an oblique tent, right. if you want to put it that way. It's neither horizontal okay. nor nor vertical. And then I'll... From I'll um, for, let, let's say we're doing the upper lip. So within the red of the lip, so I'm in, I'm under the vermilion border. Okay. okay. So I'm not in the wet roll or anything else. Right. And I'll literally do, I don't know, let's say 0.05. And if you if if you're right. in the right plane, you can see the filler track along in both directions along the lip. It you know it's, it's something that's hard to sort of explain until you've done it once and then and and, and, and you sort of see it and so from that perspective it shows that the lip is a closed system you can see the lip just you could almost fill the whole lip maybe not the whole lip but half the lip from from almost one injection now the criticism of that be if you're not moving your needle and you're in a vessel then you know you could cause an occlusion so you do have to do a little bit of movement but um yeah i don't know I, i might just do two points per per quadrant something like that um and then of course if i want to do create a little bit of detail to the tubercles then you'll have to move and and actually do that but um yeah i don't think you need that many injection Mm. points maybe it's similar to yours i've not actually seen yours yeah it, it it sounds like in many ways um it is and also just going back to tenting now they say that um there's another form of tenting where you you go in fewer times, so you'll use an entry point, but then it's that same kind of motion that you do from that one point, mm. which is which is still very traumatic. Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, involves multiple passes, but from that same point. Um, so you know, when they say tenting is not all the same, well, actually, yes, it is. Um, you've just given it a good a different name, um, <laughs> and you've added you've thrown in a couple of horizontal injections. So let's get real about this. I don't think this has been um, controversial enough. Shall we ask him about aspiration? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we'll be here for another hour at least. <laughs> We'll do yeah. a special with you and Lee together. But, but it, actually, that's a really good point. <laughs> Forget lip. Let's say you're doing a bolus. I'm assuming you're going to do a bolus on the zygoma for for the cheek. Do you aspirate or do you not? Just yes or no. You can't you can't fill it out with anything else. Well, uh, look. Yes on the or zygoma, no. I just, well, I'll, what I, I I do, but it's more out of habit. You okay. know, we were taught it. Okay, but I don't. But. From an evidence-based point of view, I, I can't I can't really justify it, and certainly not in the lips. Why does Lee does Lee sort of does uh, he say Lee, yes? Lee is is absolutely he's an anti 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 he's an anti asper. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Yeah, well, good for him. I, I would uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I would support that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far as to say anti, but perhaps he's. There is a a worry that you can reposition the needle in an artery with uh, with aspiration. So um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, look, uh, we can argue these things either way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got some listener questions here because I'm mindful of the fact that we've been going on for a while. Yeah, it's an hour. And well, a half. What, what is you, you said? Ultra is your product of choice. Is that you know? Do, do you ever veer off and and you use other things, or is that your standard? Yeah, I've tried Restylane. I, I, I've, I've tried a, um, a little bit of Vicross. Um, it just, it's again, you know, in terms of what you said, it's just what works best uh, for me. And I know there are 
uh, people actually a couple in Australia who, who, who use my technique and find that it works very well with another uh, product entirely, um, another brand. So it's about finding what works out best for you, mm. as long as it is a reputable film. Which is interesting. And appropriate. Yeah. So I wouldn't use Voluma in the lips, for example, which I have seen. But, you know, so one has to be respectful. Yeah. Can't ignore theology altogether. Which is interesting because Ultras was always promoted to me as, as a clinic owner as the product that would last roughly, you know, less than 12 months, six months, 12 months, maybe, maybe that. So lasting a lot longer than that for you, obviously. No, no, no. It, it is lasting. So, it, so again, when it's placed within the closed system of the lips, I find that the filler does last six to 12 months. Right. Uh, now, patients may come, what I was referring to is that I suspect that there is always some residual, yeah. okay? But that may be related to uh, potentially a little bit of fibrosis going on, potentially. But when the filler is injected where it should be, then that is the kind of thing that I see. But if you're in, in the habit of injecting the vermilion border, you're going to find it lasting and lasting and lasting. Mm. Uh, another question. And, so, sorry, and, carry yeah. on, Steve. No, no, that's it. Okay, so that that first question about um, product choice was from Radiance.inject. That's Stephanie down in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, another question here. You can read that one, David. Uh, Top left. Ooh, halfway to nowhere. I'm not sure what that means, but um, <laughs> hello, halfway to nowhere. You sent us a question. So Dr. Harris says 0.5 is max. Does he mean in total or never more than uh, 0.5 in one sitting? Yeah, so this is what I uh, put up yesterday as a story. I mean, I mean, obviously there is going to be variation um, from uh, from from person to person, but if if we if we can make a generalization, then I find that no more than zero point five mL is ever required for the entire uh, lips. So I'm talking upper and lower. Yeah. Um. Here's 0 .5. And they used to make 0 0.5 mil syringes, and I think they should uh, bring them back. We don't have those in Australia. No, I know this. you've got Ultra Smile, isn't it? That's 0 0.55. We, I, I don't know if it's been... It, well, Ultra Smile is basically... Is, is, ultra, is Ultra 3. I did. It's the same thing, is what I believe. But um, I, certainly with Ultra, we don't have 0 0.5. Potentially, possibly with, with uh, Ultra Smile, we do. Yes, yes. There you go. I'll save mm. you some money. You don't have to buy one meals anymore. God, yeah. <laughs> I can't be my... <laughs> And I haven't used it in about seven years, but... <laughs> there you go. Um, this is actually a really common question. So thank you, Kesame Bridal, for this. How can I get rid of the migration of filler on the inner wet border of my lip? It looks like a horrible big blister. Yeah, yeah, and I I did a post on that. It's uh, I I refer to that as mucosal spray, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's it really the this the way to deal with it. Um, you know, provided it's not some sort of granuloma and it is just uh, sort of filler spread as such. Um, is is with uh, hyaluronidase, yeah, uh, which works incredibly well for those blister type uh, uh, appearance. Um, and so that is what I would recommend. It works very, very, very well with that. What do you feel about those type of superficial um, little blobs of filler where you just, you know, you can make the most smallest little hole with a needle and just squeeze it out 
like a like a bit of acne for for those you know because you don't want to it's very hard to control hyalase you might not want to dissolve the whole lip yeah that's true you could do that but i think where you've got these blister type things you try and do that it doesn't it's it doesn't work you know mm. um maybe a little superficial bleb as you say maybe but when the patient comes and they've got proper mucosal spread with that with those kind of blisters, you're trying to squeeze it out. I, you know, and I've tried it before. I, it's unsatisfactory. Um, I've always ended up going back to hyaluronidase. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe I didn't make a, a big enough sort of hole. I suppose if you make an incision in the area, then you're going to uh, get some drainage, but then you may be left with the scar. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Mm. Now I've got, mm. I've got my own question. What uh, dilution of uh, hyalase are you doing, and how are you mixing it, and and then what? volumes are you using yeah yeah i mean that's a good question so do you do you guys do you do you guys actually have highlights yeah we yeah. get the 1500 um you know the standard ones that you guys have okay i mean the um the recommendations generally and uh, uh, lee's expert at this but the, the in terms of the dilution but the recommendation is usually uh five to thirty units per 0.1 mil um, so maybe 50 to 300 units per mil, but I tend to go for the higher uh, range. So I will tend to use three to 500 for one mil. So basically I'll dilute it in, uh, in two, in two mils. Okay. So, what so do it's we have quite there? concentrated. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's exactly, exactly. So it's very concentrated. And so that's what I'll use. And I find that works best for me, but look, if you're starting out and, or you don't have much dissolving experience, then go for the uh, lower, more diluted amounts, right? Yeah. And what uh, are you dissolving it in? Sorry? What are you dissolving it in? What's your preferred diluent? Oh, it's a normal saline, bacteriostatic. Okay. Because, yeah. Uh, some people add uh, lignocaine or lidocaine to it. Um, I don't tend to do that. Why not? Uh, just out of interest. Because, I mean, preserved saline doesn't sting that bad, but. You know, some people are using normal saline and it absolutely <laughs> no, kills. Not, normal saline, stay away from it. It's, you know, and some people, you know, using Botox with that, it's, 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 it's very painful. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so you, you go with the bacteria static and I find that just topical anesthetic is fine. The problem with uh, lidocaine and lignocaine is it causes vasodilation. And so your chance of um, uh, sort of uh, bruising increase, I mean, you're going to bruise anyway most of the time. Um, you're getting increased leaky vessels, but uh, you, you, you're increasing the chance, I feel, of that. So if you can get away without using it, then don't. Okay. And then I've seen on your videos, you're using what well, looks like a one mil syringe with a 30 gauge needle. Okay. Any particular reason you, you went for a longer needle? You've never tried with you know, smaller needles or, or thinner like gauge needles? Yeah, or like even smaller than that, like the invisible yeah. needles you can get. Um, it's closer. It's closer to what I use when I'm actually doing lips mm -hmm. or doing a lip enhancement. You see what I mean? And so I feel comfortable with dissolving it in that way as well. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Even though the technique that was used is different, I, it's it's a whole art form as well. I feel the art mm -hmm. of dissolving, and so that's what I feel comfortable with. But listen, if you're getting success with uh, a BD syringe, and some people I think even use uh, cannulas, I think there is less precision with a cannula. But whatever works for you, um, th then then do it. Um, because my clinic is so busy, I tend to use the higher concentrations of hyaluronidase, um, because and 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 I get away with it most of the time uh, because of uh, um, just. 
yeah, I'll get it all in one setting as such, you see. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I feel pretty comfortable uh, using those um, higher concentrations. But there is a small risk of uh, increased chance of side effects and uh, uh, complications such as severe allergic reactions, which are fairly easily managed. I'm not saying go out and, and, and do it, but, but if you do get an allergic reaction, that is fairly easily managed with oral steroids. Yeah, did, uh, t- I'm curious. So what? how many mils of, um, sorry, how many ampules of Hylase do you stock in your clinic? Seems like you're pretty industrial volumes. A fortune, a fortune. I, I know that I order more than anyone else from the pharmacy, and it's a very large pharmacy. Well, because you guys, in fact, it happened here not too long ago. There, there's a high lay shortage. We ran out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we ran out. I mean, I'm wondering how or why that happens. I mean, I don't know. It seems like a pretty normal standard product. I know plastic surgeons use it to sort of open up the tissue planes. So, yeah, no, I know. I agree. I agree. As long as we don't run out of Botox and fillers. <laughs> <laughs> well, joking aside, I remember after the lockdown uh, and, and things went bananas here, thank God we didn't have a second lockdown apart from in Melbourne. Your clinic, in, yeah. well, y- y- your clinic, where well, your number one filler is Ultra. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. country, is it Ultra? We, yeah, yeah that we, we pretty much ran out of Ultra. And yeah. I remember there were sort right. of official messages saying, we're really sorry, but if things don't calm down <laughs> yeah. or, or, we, or we get a shipment, we will run out in a week or, yeah, or something pretty, like that. Yeah. It was crazy. Because we, we ran out of uh, bacteriostatic saline and I had to use the normal saline with my Botox. And that's when I saw how painful it is for oh, patients. Yes, uh, full so on. I scared of that. Fair Gosh. enough. Mm-hmm. And um, sorry, are you going to ask a question? No, I just, no, I just, you said the art of dissolving. I, I thought to myself, that sounds like a good book that you should write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a whole art form. It's, uh, there's a, a way of doing it. Um, I, find, I, I try to show some of it well, as much as I can on, on Instagram, but I will, will, will put more, more on uh, about it. But again, I don't want to be sort of at the same time, I'm also aware that I don't want to be fueling a, a, a trend of, of, of dissolving now, which seems to be taking place. Um, and we did mention the importance of being uh, very careful in that respect and selective. I'm curious, do, do you also get the DMs from people wanting to teach you Russian lips? Do you get those as well? <laughs> oh, all the time. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I got one today. Oh, no, yeah, all the time. And I respond to them. And, and you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, they couldn't have chosen the worst person to send the DM to. I mean, my goodness. And, and I, you know, and I, I try and sort of talk to them a little bit about it, but there's, there's no response. I think you're wasting uh, your time. I think it's a robot because the, the name just keeps on changing. Yeah, but it's interesting, this whole bot thing. It's it's something that's going, and, and it's a whole kind of movement in itself, which I, and I experienced the negative side of it. I mean, we won't get into now, but as you mentioned at, at the beginning, where I had to change my account setting to uh, private, um, it's gone back now to normal business as such. But, um, you know, it, my, my account was literally being uh, sort of uh, invaded and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and and all all these sort of people who were joining had some sort of had a Russian name, um, and I was like, my God, what is going on? Um, and so interesting, <laughs> a bit concerned. Yeah, it's uh, shows what happened during the the voting about four years ago in America, potentially, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's political. Who knows? Let me just ask you one last question, Steve. Okay. Where do you think we're going with injectables in the next five, ten? further into the future do you think 
will will still be you know behind a a needle squirting in jelly and toxin interfaces or do you think robots will take over yes, do you I, think will yeah good question I, I i do think botox and, and fillers are here to stay um i think there's growing popularity of uh, you know things like uh, biostimulators and and, and uh, looking at uh, advanced technology with respect to um, treating skin i think that as our understanding of anatomy continues to grow really daily um so our techniques and uh, approaches will uh, evolve, but you can't go wrong if you have a uh, an approach which respects uh, natural anatomy. And if you're engaging in a less is more type approach, I think in terms of the kind of uh, results that we're seeing now, um, you know, one would like to think that we've hit rock bottom, but I don't think we have. So I think with uh, things like, uh, with procedures like tenting around, uh, which I, I believe will sort of eventually sort of go away, hopefully, on on their own. Um, I, I think we're looking at another 10 years of things getting steadily worse and then hopefully um, us uh, sort of waking up uh, to it and adopting a more artistic uh approach to 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 what we do so on the whole i'm i'm very optimistic about the future i think things have to get a little bit worse uh, before they get better um and uh but i think um i think it's 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 all going to be it's all going to be good and certainly technology has a, a very big role to play in future and uh, goodness knows what's next um it's our field is evolving at such a a, a rapid rate it's difficult to to keep up with things don't you find <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's every day there's a new product a new technique a, a new a new con- exactly. a, a new controversy so um <laughs> um well thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure um learning hearing your, hear, you. hearing your opinions and, and thoughts on things remind our listeners um how they get in contact with you if they want to find you on social media and uh spam your account or they wish to send you an email how can they do that yeah no it's it's just at uh, at uh, uh dr harris clinic um is my um the name on instagram and you know i i welcome uh, dms um, it's probably if you're looking to book an appointment or uh, looking for any information related to that, then it's best to contact me via my website, which is harrisclinic.co.uk. Excellent. Uh, Steve, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. And you did answer my DM, which is how we came to this. So thank yeah. you for personally yes, replying. And uh, no, I, I think we've got a very similar outlook and um, be great to, to meet you one day when, when, when we can fly again and Absolutely. maybe we'll sh- share a glass of something at uh, a conference and, Sounds and, good. and laugh about Some tenting. Some good South African wine. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't want to get another debate now with South African versus Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no. we, won't, we won't talk about rugby. We'll leave that. I've got, well, I've, exactly. That's where it always heads to. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one last thing to add. So yeah. we found, or I found out the other day that you're single. So uh, if anyone wants to, happily divorced. Oh, okay. Well, if, if anyone wants to reach out to Dr. Harris for dinner, just slide Don't. into his DMs. <laughs> he answers all of them apparently. I'm not interested. Once was enough. Thank Especially you. if you're Russian. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. But stay safe. All right, guys. Enjoy the dissolving. Let us know how you go, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Steve. Thanks a lot. Keep well. 
for our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests. 